0: Well, glory. Hey, it's good to be back with you. This is Dudley. I'm looking forward to our study this time. We're talking about uh, the battle that we're in and uh, how to fight it. Hey, let me remind you of some stuff uh, coming up pretty soon as a father-daughter weekend out at the ranch. This is one of the great events that we get to do out there. daughters 15 and above and, and dads where we discover what our role is with each other. And how the gospel affects that. It's, uh, it's one of the more fun times we, we get to have together. And coming up pretty pretty quickly after that would be the uh, Theological Roundtable. I'll have at least one more time to tell you a little bit about that. I'm excited about the uh, the new edition of Grace Works. Back in the early 90s, I wrote a book called Grace Works. And it's it's been used actually in different parts of the world. Uh, in several different languages to help people encounter the unique radical nature of the gospel of grace. And that, again, is a subject that God is highlighting in our day. And so uh, we have revised uh, and brought and updated the Grace Works book, and you're going to like it. And I encourage you to get it. Even if you read it back in the 90s, I encourage you to get it and read it again. Actually, As I began reading it to edit it, I hadn't read it in 20 years, and so I found myself repenting, not because the book was wrong, but because I was wrong. I realized there were things that I had put in that book 20 years ago that I had let slip in my own life, and that I was not appreciating the liberty and the power of grace as I once was. And So I found myself reading the book and uh, repenting before God. David, my son, uh, did a great job of you know, helping me to edit and bring it up. And He also confessed that it had been a major impact upon him. So, I mean, if those of us who wrote the thing get get blessed, uh, hopefully somebody else will. So, uh, you need to get the book "Grace Works." It's just off the press. Our dear friend Amy Grant wrote the forward for it, and some other wonderful friends wrote endorsements of it. So. Order it from our uh, office and get as many as you possibly can afford and give them to friends and uh, demand that they read it. Really, it, uh, it could be a, a major turning point in their life. Just this week, somebody from Quebec, I think, wrote and they had read the book, the old edition, and were just testifying to the fact that it had totally revamped their lives and their perspective of the gospel and life. So, Get Grace Works. And hope you have a wonderful holiday and and a great, a great uh, 2014. Hey, what I want to focus on this month is this: the idea of Christian liberty. What does it mean? How, how free does God set us? How free does the gospel make us? Are are we freed from the battle? Are we freed from choices? Are we freed from from the necessities of life? And, and the answer to all of that is, of course, not. We're not. We're not ever. I don't even think in heaven are we freed from choices. God made us in his image with choices, and mankind will always have choices. And choices have consequences. They always do. So God doesn't set us free from making choices. He sets us free to make choices. That's Christian liberty. And so in the time that we're living, in the uh, the big story of God— We're living after the resurrection, ascension, and the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to indwell his body, and that's our past, that's our present, and our future is that uh, Jesus is already seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he, he will consummate things one day on this earth. So we're living kind of an in between there there's a, a fabulous reality that heaven has come to earth and we're living in two worlds at the same time bringing the reality of heaven to earth and and yet the earth has not been fully redeemed yet and our bodies have not been fully redeemed yet so so there's there's something yet to come and yet there's something wonderful already happened. So, so we're living in this time of implementing the victory of what Christ has done as we wait for the final consummation of things. And oftentimes we try to do, we try to make heaven the consummation now. And, and then other times we try to, we put off to to tomorrow, the victories that are actually available today, if we're paying attention. So, uh, it's important for us to know what is the battle and how do you fight it? I think the finest scripture or the easiest scripture to deal with that is in Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. And so if you've got a copy of the scriptures, read with me. If not, listen, I'll, I'll read it out of the ESV. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here, Paul affirms the fact that we are in a battle and he describes how the how the battle is to be won. So here's what I would like to present to you this time. I want to show you if I can that there are at least five fronts of the battle, five battlefields if you will, five, five aspects of the battle. And what I would like to do is take the story of the what we call the prodigal son as kind of a picture of of those battles now realize this this is a parable told by Jesus. Parables are essentially given to make a point, and we I think we know the point that Jesus is making in there, but this is also a story of kind of a story of redemption the the whole narrative thing so We'll use it as a picture to help us understand these five battles of identifying them. The first one I would call would be the the battle of fantasy freedom, the fantasy freedom of the far country, if you will. The boy is living at home with his father in a family, and the walls of security that define that family have become oppressive to him, and he is now interpreting them as limitations, and he does not like the responsibilities that he has there. And so the far country beckons him because it offers him independence, isolation, irresponsibility, and a life with choices and no consequences. At least that's the promise. And so he says to his father, you know, give me my Inheritance now, and uh, let me go. So he, he he takes off and he goes to the far country. Now, uh, for a while, the far country is a, a pretty nice, easy place because there is some there is some freedom and some pleasure in not having any responsibilities and simply satisfying your appetites any way you choose. And and uh, because consequences come later you You live in the meantime with a sense that there are none, and so the far country is is kind of fun for a while, but there comes the time when the consequences begin to catch up, and when that begins to happen, then frustration and futility become. The order of the day, you see, God. God didn't make us to live without Him. We were not the, the whole whole of creation was was made by Him. It, it has a design to it. There are there are consequences to to choices, and they do happen. So, in the far country, eventually, you find yourself kicking against the divine goads of creation, and, and so one day you you wake up as He did and realize that you have been seduced by false lovers, uh, fake, uh, fickle friends and fake identities, the gigs up. So that's hard. I mean, that's a, that's a hard, if you want to talk about the Christian life or life being hard, that that's hard. That's hard. Uh, Now there are many who fight that battle for a long time, trying to, trying to make sense of it and demanding that, that the world does not have consequences to choices and that, well, you know how that goes. So that's a hard life. He winds up in a hog pen just to just to have work. I mean, he's finally got a job, but it's a job uh, feeding hogs and probably this boy is Jewish and that's not a, a high-dignity job there. And then, so the second battlefront that you face is... Of what I would call the awakened conscience. He says he came to himself. Well, that's a step above uh, where he's been, but, but it's not a it's not a happy place because when you're awakened, when your conscience is awakened, now you are totally self-conscious. It says he came to himself. He's aware that yeah, he's there's been this sense of ought in his. Bosom all this time, and he he's pushed it away, he's denied it, whatever. But he he was created by a moral God, and he he has morality stamped on his conscience, and so now this sense of ought as is now bugging him. It's like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And so he's he knows he ought to do better. He's He was made for better than this. Life should be better than this. And and so added to his internal sense of ought is the external law that he has been taught at home. You see, God has built us with general revelation, it is called, in our conscience and in creation. But but then God's next level of of his grace was he, he gave specifics to that sense of ought by by the written law and so he said i'll tell you what that ought feeling is down inside of you here it is he wrote it out and gave it to moses for israel it's called the torah the the sense of okay here's what righteousness looks like if you want it written down here's what it looks like here's what here's what your internal conscience is crying out for and so So he's aware of that, but but now, you know, he knows what's right and wrong, but he's still living with the guilt of what he's already done wrong. And the other thing he discovers that he can't do what he knows. That's, that's hard living, living with an awakened conscience can be really, really tough. Paul describes it. In Romans seven, he starts off Romans chapter seven by saying, "I'm writing to you who know the law." So he's talking about those who who are aware of the law. They're they're awakened to to morality. They know that there's there's something right and there's something wrong. So uh, so he describes it. it. It's that passage. If you ha- if you're not familiar with it, where Paul describes the agony of living with a consciousness of law and morality, but with the inability to live it. So it's that passage where he says, the things that I know I should be doing, I don't do. And the things that I know I should not be doing, those are the things I find myself doing. And And though my mind agrees with the law that it's right and righteous, I find that there's some kind of dynamic going on inside of me that's unable to live that. And so I'm a miserable man. Who will deliver me from this body of sin and death, this cycle of sin and death. Who 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 can help me here? And he concludes the chapter by saying, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then chapter eight takes up and says that the solution is that the the law, the cycle of life in Christ Jesus, sets you free from that law of sin and death. Different biblical interpreters will take Romans seven. Some say that Paul is describing a pre-conversion experience of his. Uh, that's how he felt before he was converted. Others say, no, it, it, he's describing his post-conversion. Others would say that Paul is describing, uh, in a, he's personifying Israel under the law until Jesus came to set us free. Uh, whichever one of those you take, the uh, the, the ramifications are, are basically the same. That is, there are people, pre-conversion, post-conversion, whatever, Uh, that are aware of the law. They uh, are aware that they can't keep the law. Therefore, they they have this misery, this sense of desperation, and they all want to be delivered. And the answer for all of them is that the life of Christ sets you free from the law of sin and death. So it's that awakened conscience thing. And, you know, when you're living in, in that level and you're battling there, the more you the more you internalize or the more you try to do what's right the, the deeper you go into the whole thing and and until you realize that not only have i violated in external behavior but my heart is messed up paul said i was doing fine actually until i until the law said you shall not covet and then i started looking at my heart and i realized man not only am i doing bad things but my heart is so self-centered that even when I do a good thing, it's bad. I mean, you, you get to the place where it's like, okay, what, what could I do that's purely righteous? Uh, I mean, a kid's running across the street, and you see it, and you throw yourself out in front of the car and throw the kid out of the way, and you're injured yourself, and you think, that was a righteous act, and then you realize, you know what, I I just like being a hero and I couldn't stand the fact of the personal loss that I would feel if I lost that kid and and so even my righteous act was was impure you know and the the very fact that I do good things I do them because they make me feel good and and so it's my feeling good that's the mo- so you get caught in that and that whole deal of uh, yeah that the law's doing its work it's revealing in us that there's something wrong at a deeper level than choices of good behavior will fix that's hard living that's tough living so the boy says to himself since he was the only one in there well i don't know he might not have been the only one in there you know at at all these points we look for camaraderie in in the in the far country you you gather around friends who are in the far country and you talk about how much fun you're having and how great it is and how stupid those people are who have morality and and so you you know you have your own little group you have your own little far country church and uh, and and, and the, when you're in the hog pen uh, there's some other people in there feeding hogs so so you're so you gather around your your accountability group in the hog pen and the hog pen accountability group you know it's it's all about how, how bad we all are and and we take comfort in the fact that I'm not the only one that's this bad and everybody's bad. And so we just kind of compare our, our badness and take commiserate with it, you know. So I, I take back my deal If he was the only one there. He, he, he probably wasn't. We, we're communal people and we always gather around somebody to, to help. So he says, I, I got to do something about this. So he has a hope. His hope is that Maybe there's some mercy in the father. So he's thinking, if I could somehow get my father, if I could mollify his wrath, justified wrath, my dad has every right in the world, the father has every right in the world to never speak to me again and to shoot at me if he sees me coming down the road. But but if some, perhaps, somehow I could go to him and make a plea and get him to to get over just a little bit of his wrath, enough that he would allow me to come back as a servant. Not as a son. I don't even have a hope for that. But as a servant, I could come back and, and just work on the place and work you know, under the, the head servant. And that way I could work my way up the servant ladder till I could become one of the better servants and get some benefits. Because being a servant there is better than, than, than what I've got here. And so that uh, that was his hope. And so he, he came up with his little speech about what he was going to say to his father to uh, plead for mercy. And so he goes back with this hope. Now, what I would call that kind of living, I would call that probationary grace. You want to go back to the house as a servant. You know, it's probation. It's no no hopes of ever full restoration, but... But there is hope of improvement. I I can improve my lot. I can improve my status. I can, I I can do things to get blessed. I, if I, if I'll do the right, if I pull the right levers, if I follow the right rules, if I show myself a good servant, then I can, I can get some blessings here. the The good thing is that I'm, I'm not in a hog pen anymore. I've been rescued, and I'm living there now. Probationary grace is accompanied by. Resignation uh, I, I'm just resigned to the fact that I, I, I'll never I'll never get back what we lost. you know I mean to, to look at Adam but in the garden and say I will never be back there or to look at Jesus as a man on the earth and say, well, you know he he lived as me but 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 but, but he was he was also Son of God, and so I, I could never do that. I mean I'm not Jesus for goodness' sake and so so we live in this resignation level a of, of deal. And, you know, also regret uh, regrets there. Cause you think about what we lost, you know, if I, if I just hadn't done this, I, if I hadn't made that choice, if, you know, I, I at least might have my family or I might have my fortune or I might have my name, but you know, that's gone. It's gone now. And, and, and so I, I just got to make the best of this. So I'll live in, live in probation. By the way, the, the group that you gather around you there, that's a large group. In fact, I don't know how accurate my statement would be, but I would just say a large part of the visible church live at, at that level, and uh, that, that's where you, you can have a lot of church at probationary grace level. Uh, you're, you're grateful. Uh, you know, there's not only resignation and regret, but there, there's gratitude. It's like, I am grateful that the Father had enough mercy in him not to shoot me when I came up. And not to totally reject me and humiliate me, I, I'm, I'm so grateful. And so we live with gratitude and and serve out of that out of that gratitude. The problem, however, is that our definition of hope and our definition of reconciliation and mercy is not the same as the fathers. So what happened is that the boy, on the way home, while he's still rehearsing his speech. The father sees him a long way off and runs out to him and greets him, not with a gun in hand, but with a robe in hand. And so the father says, uh, the boy starts telling, he starts unloading on his on his dad. You know, I, I, I've done terrible things. I've ruined your name. I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I, let me tell you about life in the hog pen. It was awful. Let me tell you about life in the far country. You know, I, I did awful things. I did absolutely awful things. So he and, and it's like the father goes shh. That's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is you're my son, and and here's my robe, the finest robe I have. It's I'm putting it on. When I look at you, I just see my robe. And here's my ring. This gives you authority, the son. You don't you don't take orders. You give orders in my house. And uh, here are the shoes of a son that you wear. You don't go barefooted like servants. You're your son and. And by the way, we're having a party tonight in your honor. Not, not, not a month from now, not six months from now, not, not after a probationary period when you've proven that you've learned your lesson of living in the far country and making terrible choices. No, we're having a party tonight. Like now, right, like right this moment. So, so let, let's get on to the party. The boy's still trying to, to tell the father all the stuff, and, and the father's trying to tell him the stuff. See, when you come to the father by the gospel in the father's house the father's opinion rules uh he, he doesn't have any category for sons slash servant that is a servant a son who who has a servant status now now sons serve but when sons serve they do it with dignity they do it not in order to gain something but because they've already they already have it, have it they they're able to give and they love to serve like the father but you know a, a son serving and a slave serving is two totally different things and and so the father has no no place for the category that the boy wants to impose I want to be a servant at this house uh, the father's deal is no if you hear your son and and your son with full rights and. And your son with with my robe and my ring and my shoes and my fatted calf and my opinion, and, and so th- this is hard. Also, this this is a battle, and the battle here is to believe the truth. Uh, is it's tough? I mean, you've been living your whole life with it, particularly in recent days, with this self consciousness, this self awareness, this awakened consciousness about about how. How, how terrible you've done and and how perverted your heart is. And, and now your father saying here, I, I want you focused on, on uh, you're my son. I, I want you to focus on the enjoy. I want you to focus on the responsibilities and the privileges of the father's house here. You've got my robe on you. And and, and we, you got choices to make here. You've, you've got uh, responsibilities. You got ring to, uh, on your hands. And, uh, Uh, We've got a family business to run here, and I need need your full attention here. As Paul deals with it in uh, Ephesians 6, the text that we read, he said, okay, here's the deal. You you get all dressed up uh, to fight, and what you get dressed up in is the same thing that this boy's wearing. I want you to get dressed up in the righteousness of Christ. I want you to get dressed up in the... uh, peace of the gospel once you get dressed up in the helmet of salvation i want you to get dressed up in shoes i want you to get dressed up with a with a sword a shield and, and a sword by, by the way all of the things that you get dressed up in is, is just a picture of jesus you know he is righteousness he is salvation he is peace uh, he, he he is our faith I, I mean so 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 the whole thing is uh is learning wh- what it means to live on the basis of another's righteousness. We, we call it an alien righteousness. Some people think that means you're talking about a Martian, some kind of... No, <laughs> alien means it's not... You're not righteous yourself. You're living on the basis of a given another's righteousness. You're, you, if, if somebody asks you if you're righteous, you simply point to the one who is. You see, when Jesus came, he, he came to be God with us. That—that uh, that was what Isaiah said would be his nature: Emmanuel, God with us. So, so Jesus came to be God with us because man was made to live with God. That is totally with God, as much with God as God is with Himself, and uh, which is hard for us to get. You know that that what Jesus has done is made access to the Father. Uh, available to us so that we have the same access that the eternal son has, which that just blows your mind to even think about that. But that's what God for us. That's what it means. But, but Jesus also came as God as us. Jesus came and lived our life. You see, he he came and took Adam's place, all of Adam's sons. He, He took that place. And so uh, he took Israel's place uh, as well. And so when Jesus lived out his life, he was living out our life, my life, your life. And, and and so his righteousness is ours because he is our representative. So his death is ours because he died as us. His resurrection is ours because he died and was res- resurrected as us. He, he sits at the right hand of the Father As man, as exalted man, as what God intended for Adam to be when he created him, he created Adam to rule in partnership with the Father, to rule over his creation. Adam gave that up, but Jesus has regained that, and and I am in him, and so are you. If you're a believer, you're in him, and so I I live my life with a, and you, I live my life with a consciousness that I am with him. I'm just with him. I was asked to go to a very important function by a friend, and I had no business there. Uh, I had I, w- I had no credentials. Uh, there's no reason I should be there except that I was with my friend. And every time the, the the people at the door and the gate and all that would go like, you know, what are you doing here? All I had to do was say, I, I'm with her. I'm with her. So, and and I I, I got the same treatment she did because i was i was with her and sh- she was invited there and she had a role there well the same way with jesus you know when <laughs> if, if i should stand in, in in front of the the judge and and i will and the question is who are you well i'm with i'm with him him i'm with jesus i'm with him oh, okay well and, and the devil wants to know when i confront him who are you well you wouldn't know me, but I'm with Him. When my heart cries out, you know, when are you going to be better? I, I basically go, I'm I'm with Him. So so we have to learn to live with a righteousness that comes by faith. That is, I'm trusting His righteousness as my own, and that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that the battle is to stand. In the reality that God says rules, His opinion rules, and He says that I am accepted on the basis of Christ's righteousness, that I am redeemed on the basis of His blood, that I am, I uh, have access now on the basis of Jesus' access. And I, I'm telling you, that's hard. It's hard because it's not the default mode of thinking. It is, it's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. It's, it's counter human fallenness. It's, that's why, that's why we lose the battle so often is because it doesn't fit with the feelings. It doesn't fit with people's opinion around, doesn't fit with the man-made religion. It is, it is the radical nature of the gospel. Now, the one thing we can't afford to do is to quit standing and start fighting. The picture of the day when, the, when Israel was in battle against the Philistines and, and Goliath would come out in the valley every day, and he was nine feet tall and, and just unbelievably large and tough, and he would come out and say, come fight me, come fight me, come fight me. Because, you know, all the guys in Israel were just scared to absolute death, and right rightfully so. I mean, there's nobody there who could fight that guy because you know the story David comes and uh, he fights him in the strength of the Lord <laughs> we we cannot yield to the temptation of Goliath to the the numbing insinuations of the enemy to come out and fight i i i can't fight the devil but i don't have to because my representative has already and he has already defeated him and given me the victory, and so I don't stand as one intimidated by Goliath. I stand as one liberated by my David, son of David, who has defeated Goliath, and now I am one of those picking up the spoils of war that David's victory won. So uh, I... I, (laughs) I live on the basis of his victory. So Christ is the center. Christ is the one who gets the glory. It's not like, yeah, I've learned another technique against the devil. You know, if you'll say it this way, or I've learned this and I've learned that. And, uh, you know, if you like me, uh, for a time I thought, well, you know, it's it's memorizing the word and throwing those verses at him. Well, the word is, 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 is good. <laughs> That's your weapon. But it better be the word of righteousness. It better be the word of the gospel because uh, I've thrown verses at the devil while believing that it was my, my fasting, my, my goodness, my whatever, and, and felt totally intimidated, you know, when you're dealing with the demonic, you know, it's, it can be a little scary. Uh, you need more than technique, and you need uh, more than just principles. It has to be the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in other words, as the Spirit interprets the gospel to you, then you, you can stand against the enemy. So, so when you're in the Father's house, it is a battle. It is a battle because you still have memories. You have memories of the hog pen. You have memories of your hope of probationary grace. You have memories of the far country. And, uh, so so it's, a daily, it's a daily experience of remembering reality as God defines it and rehearsing the ramifications of that reality. So so remembering and rehearsing. So I I, I remember I'm reconciled to God by, by grace. I used to be an enemy. I'm a friend. Regardless of how I feel, I'm regenerated by the spirit. My spirit's been made alive in him. You know, when he commands me to live, he breathes on me. And it's his breath that makes me alive. His commands are, are life to me. I, I am I'm redeemed by the blood so I'm freed from the bondage to sin and my freedom brings me to a place where I can make choices not where it eliminates choices so yes I'm I'm going to have choices and and yes the far country still beckons and yes the hog pen still beckons and yes probationary grace seems seems more right than than grace so I I, I have to rehearse I have to remember that I am I am righteous by faith. I'm a partner in the family business with responsibilities and, that are consistent with my design. Now, it's possible that in the father's house, you know, if you if you if it gets becomes dull, uh, as you know, you know, if it, when you're working with people, it can get tiring and and responsibilities require planning and strategy, like you have to get up in the morning and and whatever. If 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 you forget remembering and rehearsing, and that becomes dull, uh, the far country starts looking good again. Like, oh man, wouldn't it be great not to have to make choices? Well, I mean, not to have to have responsibilities, and that uh, you know, my choices maybe maybe those consequences wouldn't catch up, and nobody would ever know. And and so the lure of the far country begins to appear, and, and then. And then the doubts, then, then there's the battle from the enemy right there. You know, he's going aha, see, you never were a son. You never did. You weren't sincere enough. You haven't measured up. Otherwise you wouldn't be having such thoughts as this. You know, here you are a Christian and you're thinking about things in the far country that only pagans do. That proves you're not a son of God. You haven't made, you hadn't changed at all. There's no improvement in you. And so if you yield to that and start to go out and fight against that you you lose so what's the answer believing believing the gospel believing the truth ah i'm with him i'm with him and he he he's sitting at the right hand of the father and uh i am uh, i'm righteous in him and and the more i focus on him and the more i focus on his mercy and his grace and what he's doing the less I'm focused on me, and when I'm not focused on me, then all this other stuff doesn't become an issue. So, so there's the the battle of choice, and you say, how long is this going to last? Well, uh, I, probably eternity. But but here here's another aspect of the uh, of the of the gospel. Jesus has has lived as us. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to close here. He lived as us, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> if you want to know how much you are in Christ, you might be interested in a passage in 1 John where it says, here is the love of God. His love is so fantastic that we're, we're called sons of God. And not only are we called sons of God, but we are. We are sons of God. And we are so much in him that... That when he appears, we appear too. In other words, I am so in Christ that Christ can't even appear without me, my my being there, your being there if you're a believer. So if that's real, if that's true that I I am in him, then I need to live life with that reality in mind. And uh, the (laughs) the only evidence that that is true is the word of God. It's his promise. It's his faithfulness because I don't feel like, (laughs) I don't feel like I am sitting at the right hand of the father in Christ. I don't feel that righteous. I don't feel that, that loved. I don't feel that accepted. So, so my choice is, am I going to believe the father, the father's opinion, the father's reality, or am I going to believe my own? So from that perspective you see from living uh in in him then i can participate in the family business while i'm down on the earth so i'm i'm his representative we are the body of christ we're his representative down here to do f- the family business which still is blessing the whole world and when i am in him and i'm i'm conscious of my sonship not trying to earn anything then I am free to give my life away, trusting totally in him, and I can express his love on the earth, and that love changes things. It's the, only, it's the only power that changes things. And so who has the love of God in them? Who has that kind of love that's different from all other kinds of love, that agape love, that self-giving, eternal, never-ending, transforming love? Who has that? Well, God. Well, who? Who? Who did he give? I'm in him. You're in him. We have that. So if you want to talk about changing culture, changing the world, changing things, the only thing that changes stuff is true love. And that true love comes from true sons who are truly living by the truth of God's word. So yes, we have the privilege of being in the battle, but we're not battling for our survival Our battle is in loving a world going awry, living in a far country, separated, isolated from God, not living according to his design, and we have the, the solution. So rejoice today. Rejoice in your genuine Christian liberty. You have been liberated from the compulsions and the slavery Of self-obsession and self-satisfaction and you have been delivered to make choices and you can make choices every day and that choice must begin with choosing to believe the gospel. Uh, C.J. Mahaney in his book called uh, The Cross Centered Life says this, reminding ourselves of the gospel is most important daily habit we can establish if the gospel is the most vital news in the world, and if salvation by grace is the defining truth of our existence, we should create ways to immerse ourselves in these truths every day. No days off allowed. And might I add, one of those strategies would be get around people who preach the gospel to, who believe it and are talking about it. Stay, uh, not don't stay away from, but Don't let your counselors be those who are on probationary grace and certainly not those who are living in the hog pen or the far country. Well, Lord, thank you for our time together. And I pray that you would cause this truth of the gospel to get into us at at the very deepest level. We do thank you that you have let us live with choices and that there is a choice between darkness and light. There is a choice between truth and error. There's a choice between you and the idols that are surround us. And so I thank you that you have freed us to see the choice and to make the choice. And so help all of those who hear to be encouraged today that they have been liberated to win. In Jesus' name, amen.